1: From Washington, D.C., this is Backroom Politics with moderator Justin Russell. And good afternoon out there in Radioland. It is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics here from Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Joining me in studio for the best political talk show you've never heard of, he is the former Undersecretary of commerce for international trade. He is the one we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Good afternoon, Justin. And, and my 11 o'clock, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy, fresh from Boca del Vista. He is the one we know as Admiral Ken Caradine. Hello, Admiral
2: Did Ken. to be back in civilization, Justin.
1: And, and in a shocking, stunning turn of events, coming in from the Windy City, the Great White North, she is the longtime field producer for the today show here in Washington DC media goddess we know as Laura Chavez hello Laura
3: hello everyone welcome to the studio
1: we, we miss you
3: thanks it is uh it's been a lot of traveling I lately so I a lot of travel
1: yay and Rob, the engineer keeping us honest behind the glass uh we have got a lot to talk about and 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 believe it or not nothing dealing with Mueller right now so here's what we got we we're trying to figure out if there is an actual crisis on the southern border. If you listen to the Trump administration, the president th- seems to think that this is the biggest invasion since War of the Worlds. He, he, this is out of control. They're taking over the country. It is a full-fledged military onslaught. Uh, if you listen to others and Congress and... Others in America, they will tell you that, nah, it's not so bad. Now, the question is, what's reality? And, Alan Moore, is this a case of either the president or the opposition are right somewhere in the middle is the truth?
0: Well, in this case, the, the, the truth is not either of the positions you described. Um, there is an emergency, <clears throat> it's a humanitarian emergency, not a security emergency. The numbers of people seeking refuge, seeking asylum, has spiked in March, uh, up to a level uh, that 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 may be uh, uh, may reach a hundred thousand during the during the month of March. Most of them are women and children, some fathers, and then a, a healthy dose of unaccompanied. Uh, minors that's usually going to be males um it's not the security threat that the president continues to try to to describe or try to claim because the security threats historically have come from younger men um that's not who uh, who are who's Showing up now who's filling up all the capacity on both sides of the border. Hold on. To defend,
1: not to defend or not to not defend the Trump Trump administration, but the reality is, is that, you know, they talk about the big target that the president uses is the MS-13, the Latin kings, the gangs that are coming across the border in large numbers. Uh, There are youth that come over that may not already be a part of gangs but are prime targets for recruitment once they get across the border. I mean, is does that lend some legitimacy to the Trump claim?
0: Well, <laughs> how about those little babies in their mother's arms? They might be potential MS-13 recruits, too. Um, th- th- there's not a lot of evidence that I've seen that these these younger kids who are coming, unaccompanied minors, are coming up because they are already gang members or or might or join recruits. They, they're they're certainly recruitable conceivably, depending upon where they go in America and who they live with. And it it's not just the fact that you've got a fifteen year old who's coming into America. Uh, he may be living with a family in northern Minnesota or in Idaho. Um but- Chances are that 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 such a kid is not going to be uh, a, a highly recruitable MS-13 person. The, the problem now, and I'm not saying there aren't potential recruitables. I'm not saying there aren't some bad people. That's the, the reason we have a, a, a process of, of clearing folks, of investigating them. But right now, the right. whole capability of assessing the truth behind what people say is— the system is overwhelmed. We right. don't have places to put people for a day or two or a week or two or five.
1: All
2: right. Admiral Ken? So, yeah, I think the other part of the the, the, of the answer to your question is this uh, as much of a crisis as the uh, the administration uh, contends or as less of a um, crisis as, as the opposition to the administration contends is that— this is something of a crisis of of Donald Trump's making. Um, you know, the the spike, if you will, began when the president talked about uh, pulling back funding um, to, uh, to help tamp uh, uh, down violence in uh, countries like Honduras. Um, Well, the president's talking
1: about pulling all funding from Nicaragua, Honduras, and and, and El Salvador, and
2: and and and, uh, again, I think part of the part of what the president does not understand that his transactional view of foreign policy uh, does not hold water in this particular type of situation. Um, So this is a this is a mess of the Trump administration's making. They are pulling back funding uh, for. Um, Some of the uh, they've cut the number of judges that are are looking at um, uh, at asylum hearings. Um, They are basically uh, pushing um, women and children to live in less than um, humane conditions in some cases. So, yeah, this has become a big deal. Uh, Alan, Alan is absolutely right. That there has been a spike, and what's unusual here is that the people coming across the mo- border are not predominantly Mexicans looking for jobs anymore. They are people that are refugees. These are women and children. And you know, you know, one of the things that we like to say around my house is that a little bit of empathy goes a long way. You got to ask yourself, what would it take for a a a, a mom um, to basically take her children away from their home, walk? in some cases, a 1,000 miles to get to a border and willing to hang out and hope that they can get in. Things have got to be pretty damn bad.
1: OK. But at the same time, Lord Chavez, we're, how far does the empathy have to go? I mean, at some point, does the president have a, a legitimate claim that says that, hey, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras, if you want to play in the Western Hemisphere, you're going to have to clean up your own house. What's the incentive for them to clean up their own house if all they're going to do is just migrate north to the United States?
3: I think part of the incentive that was initially there that is now being uh, withdrawn or being threatened to be withdrawn is the funding from the United States that, hey, this money is meant to go to programs that will help boost your economy, help try to clean up uh, crimes, help, you know, uh, get more jobs out there. But with the United States withdrawing that money, all of a sudden you've created Another problem, not only on the back end where you've got where admittedly like there is there are illegal border crossings. I don't think anyone's arguing that. But asylum seeking is completely fair. But now you're creating a situation on the front end, too, where you're creating, you know, by withdrawing this money, withdrawing the support. Of the United States, you're creating the melanin monster but, that Trump is so terrified of. Okay, but if you
1: look at it from the reverse, saying, "Look, we we've given them that money." I mean, each of those countries receives hundreds of millions of dollars uh, every year in federal aid from organizations like U.S. Uh, the U.S. Agency for International Development, the State Department, uh, the Department, your Department of Commerce. And that money, which is supposed to go to programs to show economic benefit, drive economic uh, expansion in those countries, end up in the pockets of a corrupt government. What, what, you know, does the president have a have a legitimate gripe saying why are we going to keep putting money in their pockets when we could use that for other things?
3: I I totally understand what you're saying, and I think there is a certain validity to that point, but you are then at that point when you're taking all of this away you're also saying you know what we wash our hands we don't know what to do with you you're on your own this isn't these aren't you know major countries these are third world countries for the most part that don't necessarily have the infrastructure to sustain you know any sort of viable economy where they're able to lift people they don't have 15,000 people they don't have you know Amazon moving into their crystal city neighborhoods to try and boost the economy these are places that are going to need more work. They're going to need a lot more help. And in some of these places, they're ruled by a a slightly less democratic government, is how I'll say it. Right. Um, Which leads everyone to kind of understand that, like, the infrastructure in general might not be there just yet. But if you keep working with it, try to keep investing. This isn't like, here's twenty dollars. You know, everything's fixed. This is a long term problem that needs to be addressed.
0: Right. Alan Moore. Yeah, it's important to understand how foreign aid works in countries like Central America, uh, which is typical of what happens around the world. We don't write a check to a corrupt government. We write checks to organizations that are typically nonprofit uh, partners. Some of them are American companies with with subsidiaries there who we contract with to do particular things, to develop – to. Programs for children, for at-risk kids, for uh, judicial reform. Um, does some money get siphoned off and find its way into the po- pockets of corrupt government? Are there are there bribes that that have to be paid to get access to things? Sometimes even to, to get a telephone. Yes. Um, can we fix? But but I I wanted to speak first to that because this money is not just uh, but, uh, suitcases of think, cash And I don't think that anybody's go to those, that. Well, that's what you were implying no, 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 at the no, beginning. No, 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 no,
2: no, 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 no. I, I think, yeah. Alan, hits a important point. There are a lot of Trump supporters who think that's what's going on. And, and, yeah. No, I, I agree you, with k- that.
0: I'm not saying you don't agree. I'm just saying the way you characterized is we send all this money down there and it ends up in the pockets of corrupt officials. Well, it, it does to it, an extent. I,
3: <laughs> it does here, too. <laughs> that's true. Like, let's yeah. be real. Look,
0: look, all I'm saying is that we don't just... Deliver suitcases right. full of cash right. okay. to corrupt governments. Is there are there ways that government officials and local police and so on get their hand in? Absolutely, there are. But usually with foreign aid, we're using third party organizations, often with a uh, U.S. affiliation. Uh, some are companies you've never heard of, but some are organizations called Save the Children or um, Doctors Without Borders. There can be global or even government be, agencies like Train
1: Development. Agency, well the, like us the,
0: they tend they tend though to, to to give money for particular purposes through to to different parties like infrastructure so.
1: projects that end up
0: so again, we're using third parties. If you're if we're going to build infrastructure, then we we're, we're going to use some big international construction company that's that's probably going to have to shell out a little bit of money to to, to be able to function, but if they're going to build a port or a or or a train station, um, some kind of warehousing right. facilities, all, all I'm saying is threatening to cut off aid is about as dumb a thing as we can do if our objective oh, is
1: Oh no there there's a dumber to, thing to strengthen, there's a dumber thing.
0: To, to strengthen the uh, the local capacity improve the government improve how government functions so that people won't be so desperate to leave then we have to continue to invest down there. Maybe we have to put more controls, but we're not just uh, blindly handing over money to these third parties either. There's an enormous amount of oversight that 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 goes into this stuff. And right, th- w- the- I'll, I'll, hey, I'll yeah, let you yeah, go. I you want, want to come back saying. to another right, issue all right, too.
2: All right, yeah. go ahead, Admiral. Ken. Uh, I think you know the, the, this whole discussion in in how I think. Um, I think some in, in, uh, that, are, that are loyal followers of the administration uh, look at this can best be described as that old: the less you know about a thing, the simpler it must be. I do know for a fact that there are there are a good number of, of, of the president's supporters who think that we are sending suitcases full of money to these foreign governments, and uh, I think that that shutting it down uh, will have the act of creating a bigger demand signal in the U.S. Uh, I think because as things go crazier in those places that they're fleeing and things look less crazy here, um, only the rational uh, will go and only the irrational will stay. And, and and there appears to be a good number of rational people who are trying to flee uh, tyranny and terrorism and crime and violence to try to go someplace where it's safe to, to raise their families. You, you
1: know, you, you, actually, Admiral Ken brings up a good point, Laura, is it, it seems to me that the... The administration, even though they may have somewhat of a point, is doing what they do best. They oversimplify it to sell it to their base, and it makes it look like that they are the superheroes of national security and protecting American jobs. Whereas I think that if, you know, you ask somebody in, like, where you are from Chicago— if they know what an organization like USAID does, USAID, the U.S. Agency for International Development, or TDA, the Trade and Development Agency of the U.S. government, if you were to ask them what those, if, what those agencies do, they would have no clue. And yet, a lot of the foreign aid support that we give to some of these foreign countries, particularly in Latin America, come from those agencies that... It, it almost seems like we're cutting our nose off to spite our face just to sell a point that is being oversimplified by the White House. Is that accurate?
3: I think that's accurate in a lot of ways. Um, we live in a very much a headline driven society right now. And to be perfectly honest, like this is I mean, we're inside the beltway. We have a very, you know, in the dirt, in the mud rolling around with the pigs. We know the ins and the outs of this. We're interested in it. A lot of people in this area's livelihood depend on it. But if you go out to places like West Virginia or South Bend, Indiana, or anywhere else where this isn't, you know, the topic of conversation at your local bar or, you know, at a shopping mall or isn't something that's in your face, you do have to kind it's you don't have to simplify it, but learning all of this and knowing all of this is a commitment to the subject matter. And right. bottom line, a lot of these people have more pressing things in their lives to worry about.
1: They're worried about they're making worried a, about, their rent payments. Exactly. They're worried about making mortgage payments, exactly. buying food, exactly. their medication.
3: So, to them, yes, USAID is a great organization. It does, you know, a thousand different things, but they don't care about that. They don't have time to learn all of these different nonprofits. They don't have time to learn the difference between uh Child Help and St. Jude and Child Hunger. Like they're they just know that like there's an organization out there doing something. Ideally, you know, the money's going to the right place. But bottom line, can I get food on the table? So we are in a very overly simplified world right now. And I think that does drive a lot of the conversation in that, you know, as much information that can be gleaned off of a Facebook headline, that's your new baseline.
0: Alan Moore. Yeah, I want to build on what what Laura is saying here. There's an enormous amount of ignorance in the country. We have a president who feeds the ignorance rather than... Tries to bring light, bring light in, and do some education. Let me ask you this question. let 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 let, let Let me finish my thought here. So. People don't understand what aid is even for. They have a, a, a horrendously, uh, uh, in, an embarrassingly wrong notion of how much foreign aid we spend. It's actually around the, around one percent of our total budget. But if you ask people, and polls historically have done this, they'll think it's fifteen to fifteen to twenty percent. Right. Um, and, and and it's not. And then when it gets to the question of what is that aid for, the notion is well. It, it's supposedly just to help those people, but we need help at home. Here's an opportunity and so we don't we should we don't we shouldn't be spending our scarce resources the 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 problem the, the the crisis at our border provides a fabulous opportunity for a president willing to learn and to teach to explain why, Foreign assistance is a good thing. If we can create stability in those three countries that are providing most of the people now, um, and I'm, it's not Mexico. Um, it's, it's, it, it's, Honduras, it's Honduras, Salvador, Salvador Nicaragua. And, and, um, and yes, if, if we could create a degree of stability and cause people to not want to risk their lives and flee to an uncertain future— Here's the perfect opportunity to say, we're going to increase our investment there. We want people to stay there. We want them to be safe and have some opportunity for hope. Because if we don't spend the money there, they are going to come. We're going to have this disastrous growing problem on our border. And we want to interfere with that. But
1: here's here's a conundrum. You you, you talk about the ignorance of of the of the general American public that does not understand what foreign aid does and the vital role it plays, not just in the humanitarian efforts, but in the role of even national security. Even. It helps us. It, it it does help us. But is it a matter of, like Laura says, you know, the the somebody in Omaha, Nebraska, who who is you know thousands of miles away from the southern border, thousands of miles detached from these humanitarian encampments that are down now along the Mexican-U.S. border, do, are, are we asking too much for them to really give a crap about what's happening down there?
2: Because, quite frankly, it doesn't affect their kids' education. Sure it does. How? Sure it does. How? In the words of my late great dad, everything costs money. We can either spend the money in foreign aid— or we can spend the money and increase taxes to basically take care of the 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 uh, the problem. Hold on, you're, let me, you're losing me Everything costs money. So let's say let's say we basically we 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 create this 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 barrier that, 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 that Trump wants at the wall. Somebody's got to pay for that. We know Mexico's not going to pay for it because they ever gave us the big fat finger on that. Okay? So everything costs money. So we can either we can either pay the money to stop the demand signal in in uh, in El Salvador or Nicaragua, or we can basically you know, pretend that it's one big issue, and we, we pay increased taxes for border security, uh, higher higher taxes for uh, customers and border patrol agents, higher taxes for everything that goes along with the infrastructure that be, would be required to basically keep these people out. Okay, but, because but that's okay, what that's what he's trying to in, do. Though.
1: You're in Spokane, Washington. Yep. Okay. If you're in Spokane, Washington...
2: And you're what, paying 50% income it, tax anyway, what, but go ahead.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, can go to, we can go to Wyoming, um, North I'm, Dakota, I'm, anywhere. I'm,
2: go ahead. I'm no, no, I
1: got, no, no, no. no. Uh, but, but the reality is if, if, if you are the average American, whether that money goes to Honduras or not does not directly affect your life on a daily basis. Whether that money sees daylight in, South, in San Salvador El Salvador, I, the I will, capital.
2: I, I will give you that, but you know what? It, so why should I guess the I, I, on, question on, is, why I, does Americans to have to care? I'm trying to answer your question, so I'll give you on a daily basis. No, they probably won't. But when it comes time to basically pay that tax bill, which we're all going to do next next week, yeah, at that point you're going to feel it. And people are feeling it now. How? Through increased taxes, Justin, everything costs money. Everything costs money.
0: Justin, you can't you you can't simply say to a given family in West Virginia, Eastern Washington, or whatever, here's why, here's how it's going to affect your daily life. But you can say, as we do constantly, and we look to leaders to help educate. Here's what we're spending our money for. Here's why we're spending that money. You you may not see it in your community this week, but we see it throughout the United States. We th- see it throughout our state. We're spending this money in Central America to reduce the pressure on our southern border, which is costing us billions of dollars, creating enormous amount of disruption and division. I am here as your leader, whether it's a, a, ideally a president, but senators are doing this all the time in their states, trying to explain why it is that we need to spend money over here or in this oh, wait, 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 country. Wait, wait. Hold on, hold on,
1: hold on, hold on. I want to touch on that,
0: because here's the thing. And, I,
1: and, and, and Laura's, Laura's point brings this up. If you are the average taxpayer, and we are already right now sending money to these countries through foreign aid programs, what we're seeing... <coughs> Excuse me, I wish we had a cough button. By the way, uh, Rob, we might want to do a cough button in the future. Thanks. <laughs> the point I was making is, it, it, right now, if you're the average taxpayer, you see money going to these countries in Central America and Latin America, and we still, this month, are seeing the highest number of migration captures and interactions that we've seen in
2: 10 years. Can it be worse? So, uh,
1: I I guess it could. Can it be worse? But but if you are the taxpayer, if we're sending money down there to help stem this or help create programs that make these migrants want to stay there, Laura Chavez, it seems like to me that if on the average taxpayer based on, you know, the numbers that are coming out of DHS and the words coming out of the White House. They might. They actually might have a point there, saying, "Wait a minute. Why are we sending them money if they're still going to come up here in record numbers? Don't send them money. We're still going to have the record numbers."
3: Yes, by that logic, absolutely. Yeah. Why? Why throw money at a problem at all? Right. But if that's the that case, money could like, go to my
1: school and help. Me.
3: Hey guys, don't worry. We uh, we can stop throwing money at the opioid. Crisis. We can stop throwing money. At, you know, any sort of health issues we've got coming up. There are so many problems. Like the the solution is not to stop throwing money at it. What you do is they, uh, Alan and Ken have a really great point. Like education is really a big thing with this. This also isn't like a yeah. You know what? The family in West Virginia whose taxes are probably going up to help try and send money over there or donating money. You're not going to see that. In the tomorrow, it's not going to help put food on your table. No, but generationally, this is also a problem that people need to start looking at. We need to fix an immigration process in general. Like, yes, it's one thing to say anyone can come to the U.S. and seek asylum and be welcomed with open arms, but everybody knows that's not the actual case. It's a much larger process than that. But this process is so it could be so great. It could be so wonderful having that money to just educate and say, hey, you know what, if we do this the right way, maybe the very low percentage of illegal immigrant crime will be quelled. Maybe if we figure out a better way to process them into the U.S., maybe if we figure out a better way to help the infrastructure in places like El Salvador or Ecuador or Mexico or any other country that happens to be one of the countries that um, people are trying to run to, maybe if we work with them about different uh, criminal justice opportunities or even just different vocational programs that could be introduced to the space to help try and keep um, drugs being the like most lucrative job. Um, if you go with that route, then you can see that it's not just a a situation where, yeah, right now we have people pouring into the border, but maybe we right. should actually look at this as a generational right. thing. We're creating a better world for our kids. It might be a problem for us today, but it's not going to be a problem for us in 12 years, 20 years, 50 years, whatever.
0: Alan, I think we all acknowledge and agree, and we've we've said this many times that there are a lot of people, a lot of voters, um, who are not very well informed. They're caught up in their own lives, trying to make things happen locally and keep food on the table, keep job, worry about health care. Um, they're not that interested in what's going on outside their their county, maybe outside their state, outside their region, and certainly outside the country. What we don't need in, in forming that group is, is leaders who take advantage of ignorance, exacerbate it, play with it, Tell lies that feed biases that we know exist. So, in, instead of instead of informing people that there is a reason that's in America's interest that we spend as much as we do um, in in foreign assistance, in in particularly in a place like Central America, to try to stem the tide. Here, in other countries, the reasoning is different. Which is worth trying, whether it breaks through or not. What we don't need is a leader who says, here's what we need to do. We got a bunch of lying, murdering, raping thieves coming across. We need to erect a wall and then we'll be safe. That's what we don't need. Right.
1: All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to keep this conversation going. When we come back, we're going to talk, continue talking about this subject, the crisis on the southern border and the really, really dumb idea that the president came up with. Hey, I got an idea. Let's close the doors. This is backroom politics. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with
4: us. I found him out. Had a show down. What I think of him, how much I love him. I got a desperate notion. That's the way I feel today. My heart is aching because he's making a plaything of my devotion. That's the way I feel today. Turned his keys in hit back and went away. What good is living? I'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean. That's the way I feel today. he's making a plaything of my devotion that's the way i feel today without any reason or a word to say that man turned his keys in and hit packed and went away what good is living soon be giving my body up to the ocean that's the way i feel today i said that's the way i feel
1: You. live from washington dc this is backroom politics with moderator justin russell and we're back in studio a the foam encrusted nerve center of backroom politics the best political talk show you've never heard of i'm your host moderator justin russell in studio with me alan moore admiral ken laura chavez will be back in a second and inside the glass booth is Rob the engineer? We're going to continue our discussion about the uh, the, the so-called crisis on the southern border. But I, I I do want to take up Admiral Ken right before the break. You wanted to make a comment regarding all this
2: aid and everything. Well, I think the thing is that is that we we are we are not dealing with the fact that. There are just a lot of people, I'd say almost 30 percent of, the, um, of the, uh, the electorate that chooses to be polled, that think that we are in a true national security emergency. And this goes to what Alan was talking about. We have the problem that there are people that I know, uh, personally and, and professionally, that think that there are terrorists that are trying to sneak across the border and hordes of them. And that if we don't, if we don't erect a wall immediately, that uh, we're going to all uh, be killed in our sleep. And, and, I, I, and I, I'm, I'm quoting someone who, who who said that to me just last week. And I guess, you know, the, the, the thing that I have the biggest issue with is that rather than focus on doing the education piece more, um, a lot of the media seems to be focused in on uh, trying to combat the rhetoric for, uh, with, with words rather than with true facts about what's really going on down there and overwhelm that message. Overwhelm that that negative message because, quite frankly, if we're waiting for that leadership to suddenly show up uh, here in Washington, D.C. at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, we're fooling ourselves. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Laura Chavez, you agree? Uh,
3: on waiting for the leadership at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? Yeah. Absolutely. It's not going to show up. This is That's not what this administration's focus is, and I think it's more than interesting that every time – in elections popping up or anytime that there's some major crisis in the White House, somehow a caravan shows up on the southern border or is one is headed right towards us. It's the favorite, you know, like drop back and punt line that the administration has, you know, when in doubt, make up a caravan. And there very well might there have been caravans. Yes. But keep in mind, a lot of those caravans are made up of women and children because it's not a safe journey. There's safety in numbers. At that point in time, you're looking at like, yeah, there's a caravan of women and children who are running from something else. You don't go into the water unless the land's not safe.
1: I mean, but we're also talking about a president that has also talked about this caravan, the migration coming up of women in duct tape in the back of vans and, and, and abortions happening in mid-transit, uh, all kinds of ludicrous, ludicrous statements coming out of the White House, creating fear inside the general American electorate. Uh, Alan Moore is, I I mean, is this a real situation that needs to be dealt with, or is it made up by a president that, as Laura said, has to punt when things get difficult? It's
0: the easy fallback. It is most definitely a situation that has to be dealt with. Our system on the border is overwhelmed. One day last week 4,000 people one day 4,000 people were were apprehended. That's a rate of that's a rate of 120,000 a month. I mean we're we're back up at some really high numbers that we can't manage and and we've got a couple of issues. We can't keep kids longer than a couple of weeks. So if kids are with their little kids, with their parents, then we're forced to release them. That's n- not any kind of an answer. Um, unaccompanied minors, uh, if they're from Mexico or Canada, and that's not a big problem with Canada, but legally we can send those unaccompanied minors back. legally. We don't have the authority to send them back to their home countries if it's not in not Mexico or Canada. Those are issues around which fair-minded, good-spirited politicians could conceivably come together and say, wow, maybe we need to let uh, families be held longer. Before we just simply release them into the population, and then a good number of them never show up again. Maybe we have to reflect on whether there's something to do with unaccompanied minors. I don't have the answer. I but but it's the kind of thing that saying the the president is crazy, horrible, and wrong. Therefore, anything he proposes, we're going to object to and. And and that feeds him saying the Republicans want the Democrats simply want open borders. There are no Democrats I know who want open borders. Everybody thinks that it it is the important, responsible uh, thing we must do, which is have some control over our borders, protect them. The question is what level of humanity and what level of truth we're going to require. Of the people who are trying to make these decisions. Right right now, we've got a president who makes stuff up, feeds fear among people, and Democrats who are focused on the president's exaggerated words. um, Instead of fixing the problem. Instead of fixing the problem around which probably you could find, uh, you know, certainly a solid majority to do some things, but... The the tribes have separated. Um, The the president's the leader. This is an international issue. We look to him first. When he fails, which he continues to do, then the question is... Who next? Can the, con- oh, no, can no. the Congress got a good find idea. a way? Can the Congress find a way uh to come together to work to work together? Oh, come on. The president's already given us a great idea.
1: We'll just close the doors. The yeah, president the, the president literally as late as this morning continues to rally around the threat of closing down the southern border which Again, you thought we couldn't get any more crazy, Alan. This, this is just stupidity on a major level. Uh, Lord Chavez, you would think that with everybody from Larry Kudlow to Kevin Hassett to every economist in America with half a brain that's telling him this could be an economic disaster for the U.S. economy, he still wants to lock the doors.
3: Absolutely. It plays really well to his base. And those are the people he needs to care about. I mean, in all honesty, like, he knows he's not... 2020, well, yes, in all honesty, like, as much as it pains me to say, it, he's probably going to be reelected. But he knows that he's going to have a fight. So he knows that the one thing that he really has to do is shore up that base. And he needs to keep them with him the whole time. And all, you know, for all intents and purposes, this was a pretty good week for him. Like, he was... What was it? No collusion, but not total, but total exoneration. Right. I don't remember who was. I don't remember what it was, what he was claiming. Depends you know, it day. depends which, you know, it depends who you're reading. Right. Um. But like all of those things. And now his base has this it's this re-energized breath of fresh air. You know, there was no collusion. He's the best president. He's feeling good. He can make these kinds of strides. He can make these kinds of statements because right now he knows he's got, you know, what is he averaging? I they, think forty-one or something percent right
1: now. But they don't understand the. People but that, that doesn't matter. No, no. But the people that we're talking about, when they, when these, when these voters are sitting there going, close it down, close it down, shut down the southern border, they don't. Uh, is it that they don't understand or they don't care? That it's going to directly affect their jobs, their ability to get income, their ability to pay their mortgage, their ability to a put, put food of, on
2: the table that's the less cost you effective, know, The yeah. less you know about something, the simpler it must be. Well, elaborate and, on that. Well, I mean they don't understand that Mexico is our third third largest trading partner. You look at things as simple as auto parts, and Alan, feel free to fill in the gaps here. We create a we, we build a part here. We send it over to Mexico. Uh, to get something else done, then we send it back over here to get something else done, then we send it back to Mexico, and then we send it back over here again for a final uh, sale and assembly or, or installation of the car. If you shut down the border, that stops. That stops. And what he doesn't, what 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 your baseline Trump supporter doesn't understand is that we are no longer living in a world of the 1950s where. We are the center of the universe, and everybody's going to come begging to us for something. It doesn't work that way anymore. And no one, no one in the administration, is basically offering a counter argument, or, or basically saying hey, why why this is a good idea beyond the fact that just shut it down. We'll just shut it down.
3: As a really funny side note, or as what I consider a really funny side note, uh, I was reading in some journal that if if the border is closed. In three weeks, the United States will pretty much be out of avocados. Which, what are we going to put on toast? Which, at which Butter? point, everyone was like, well, he just lost everyone under the age of 35.
0: What are we going to do? So, Alan well, Moore. Well, but I, I'm glad Guacamole? She, Guacamole? No!
3: Chipotle's turkey burgers. Everybody. Take me.
0: Take me. Actually, I'm glad she mentioned avocados I, because I, I last night on ABC and uh, NBC both, I didn't watch CBS, they both mentioned avocados, and right. and, mm-hmm. and the the notion was three weeks. about three, three weeks. weeks. And I thought to myself, okay, that's that's illustrative. On the on the one hand, on the other hand, uh, and, and Laura makes the point about people of an age. I love avocados. I buy a, we eat them a lot. Um, do you eat on, avocado not, toast? Not on toast. No, no, most oh, you. you should most do. Him, you. Oh yeah, rock so solid. Sometimes, sometimes, but most. I'm
2: not, but I, I'm learning. <laughs> but,
0: but Welcome. Just about every night, avocado on a salad. Yep. <laughs> or oh god, try a BLT with avocado sometime, and you'll never go back to the old kind. But, no, I'm
3: worried but, about my Philadelphia roll. My why Alan's hair but, is so shiny.
0: It but, is. But but here, hear me out. Here, how many Trump voters? eat avocados constantly he doesn't have that many young voters and they the, it you know this I, no the but center we joke of the, about the center of the country well yep. but 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 Laura says anybody under 35 and I love my avocados but I'm thinking I don't think avocados sell this issue as well as other things in might. like Omaha Nebraska yeah, yeah you, exactly as well to- to- as as well as Ken's point which is there's all this cross-border traffic. That leads to it directly to U.S. jobs, and in manufacturing jobs we in America, hold on. almost every manufacturer you'll find in hold America on. has got some imported content. Right. In whatever. But let's go that back to produces. let's go back
1: to this because Alan Moore is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. The, the industry that will probably get, one of the industries that will get hit hardest, other than the avocado industry, three weeks, sweet mother of all that's holy, is the automotive industry. I don't think anybody realizes you shut down the border, you shut down cross-pollination of auto manufacturing
0: that's going to put people out of jobs. Oh, and that was Ken's exact point, mm-hmm. that stuff moves back and forth on its Wait, way to those the workers are the product. ones that
1: put Trump into office
0: well there's no there's no one group that put Trump into office you you can find a half a dozen states and say what made the difference there what made the difference there um, there there were a lot of out of work F- former auto workers, and they're still, work, they're still out of work. I'm saying they're still out of work. So. Workers who, who, who pivoted. Um, it might have made the difference, uh, but but you know, so were farmers uh, uh, affected. So were people who work in the uh, the retail business. We're talking here about groceries, and we're talking about avocados, because I think they somebody came up with a number, you'll be out of avocados in about three weeks. And um, about half of America's imported fruit comes from Mexico. Um, so maybe you don't eat avocados, but maybe you like apples. Maybe you like bananas. Maybe you like.
2: Um... Well, you know, you, you look at the whole, the whole, the whole. Um, I guess Trumpism thing uh, about about the border and the animus that he projected about the border from 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 the even when he announced his, his presidential campaign. What, what that does is it speaks to the, the, the ignorance that exists in the country about what goes on at our border, um, what happens with not just um, fruit and vegetables and auto parts. Um, we talk about, you know, the, we talk about labor. So Americans are not are not coming across the border to be ba- uh, or, or coming going going south and pardon me the Americans are not going to the southern part of the US to, to basically pick America's fruits and vegetables they're not doing that these are jobs that Americans have basically given up and will not do and so when you start talking about shutting down the border or building a wall or you know, trying to keep those, those you know, the, the the brown herd to the south right. or whatever, you stop. You, you got to stop and you got to think about the second and third order effects. Right. And if you talk to most Trump people, they're not really worried about that. They don't. They don't want to think about that because again, it 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 begs it begs a level of 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 advanced thought that they don't want to worry about or they don't want to do. I've said th- I've said this for the better part of about a decade. Anybody who
1: says, "Oh my God." The migrants are coming in. They're going to take our jobs. They're not going to take our jobs. You know what they're going to do is they're going to keep food items that you count on on a daily basis at a price that is acceptable and that you're used to. You start taking away that workforce. Americans are going to sit there. Well, they're taking our jobs. Okay, fine. Then you go into the fields and you do the migrant work. Absolutely. You go do... Hardcore construction in Orlando, Florida, in the summertime. You go pick, or you go pick strawberries. Go pick citrus. Go pick apples in Washington State. Go harvest pecans in Georgia. You do that work, and you put Americans in those jobs. They won't do those jobs for a price point that's going. To, you're going to be paying. Uh, thirty dollars for a bushel of strawberries, or fifty dollars for a bag of oranges. That is what nobody understands, and that's, and, and that seems to be lost in translation somehow. Alan Moore.
0: Well, there are people who talk about that. I mean, the people who are promoting a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage, for example, are con- confronted with this all the time, and they say you're going to uh, take the price of a big, you're going to double the price of a Big Mac. And their answer will be, well, that's what it should cost then, and and people will have more money and they can spend more for a Big Mac. But our why, why should, handle that? Why, well, not overnight, but I'm just I'm just saying that the, the response that people have is, or hey, why should we be subsidizing our food by? by taking advantage by exploiting poor people in a in a in a third world country. It's a, it's, it's a discussion worthy of serious back and forth. There's no simple-minded, easy answer. Uh, but the fact of the matter is products, particularly agricultural products that can be grown in greenhouses almost anywhere that are still labor intensive tend to move where labor is cheaper, if you go to a Costco you'll find stuff that comes all the way from China because it makes sense. Pine nuts is a good example they're really expensive right The pine nuts at Costco come from China right they don't but, come from the US they don't come from Mexico they come all the way from China but it's, but, because, it's somebody,
1: but it's somebody that lived in Florida that's somebody that, that, that was that had interaction with let's say the Florida citrus trade. You know, the biggest complaint that Florida citrus growers had is they can't be competitive with places like Brazil. They can't be competitive with places like the Philippines. You know, there there are so many different markets that have cheaper labor, and they're still complaining, even though that they have migrant labor available to them, to still be competitive in, in an American marketplace. I mean, Lord Jarvis, even in the urban sectors... Nobody's going to pay $190 a night for a Motel 6 in Peoria, Illinois, because that's what the labor market's going to do. Nobody wants to do housekeeping.
3: No, and that, to your point, there are a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of grunt jobs that a lot of Americans don't want to do. Nobody really wants to do them. No one aspires to say, like, oh, I am I hope when I'm an adult I get to work 16-hour days while I'm sweating, wearing long sleeves in a field somewhere. But what they are doing, all these migrants that are coming over are saying, I aspire to more. I aspire to more for my kids. And that's kind of the broad, that's one of the things that a lot of people are missing when it comes to the immigration, the mass immigration that is coming this way. There was actually a study not too long ago that migrantly owned, uh, businesses that are owned by immigrants, first-generation immigrants, not like You know, people straight off the boat, ideally, Um, but their businesses produced over like the course of 20 years, 46 percent more than businesses that were owned by people who had their businesses passed down to them. It was genuinely just a drive to get a better life, which is something that that is the reason that is one of the sole reasons that a lot of these people are coming to the U.S.,
0: Alan Moore. And to build on that point, it, it, that success of immigrants also feeds resentment by Americans who never had the drive, never had the desperate need, and assume that those Vietnamese restaurateurs, nail salon owners, barbers, um, and uh, Food Restaurant store, orders, food store yeah. operators, yeah. and so on, somehow got a special deal, a special advantage. Nope they they were desperate. They fled. Uh, they were fearful. They saw a land of opportunity, and they worked their rear ends off. And they <laughs> and they tend to 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 trigger resentment rather than admiration. And and that's that's again a a challenge for politicians but a challenge that that smart politicians will rise to and there're plenty in a, in this country and plenty in Washington who do they <coughs> represent some of these people they go into those communities they thank them for their work for their contribution for their inspiration um but but putting a positive uh uh light on it
1: is is this I'm, is this a matter of I'm trying to find the right word for it, Admiral Ken. It almost seems that what Alan just described is a sense of ignorant entitlement versus dealing with the reality of true migration in the United States, particularly on the southern
2: border. So, quick story. Um, when when uh, I, I had one of my kids, uh, my kids grew up in Texas, and they went to very good schools. And one of them says, you know, Dad, I want to go to college on the East Coast. And I said, Honey, you you can go anywhere you want. You know, all you gotta do is get a scholarship and we'll be good to go. And my kid blew my mind and said, Well, only Asian kids get in scholarships, Dad. And I basically chastised them and, and for for saying one of the most stupidly racist things I've ever heard in my entire life. So there's a there's a to answer your question directly, yeah, there's a there's a level of stupid uh, ignorant entitlement that's, that's at play. Um, and it's aided greatly by a president who wants to harken back to things, uh, like they were in the good old days. Uh, one of the most entertaining moments I've seen on TV lately was Don Lemon and Anderson Cooper, when their shows are transitioning, singing the theme from, uh, all in the family, um, because the president had made some comment about the fact that airplanes are too complicated to fly now. Right. So uh, again, so I think you know, I think that there's 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 a hearkening, you know, back to wanting to get back to good old days because f- face it, doing well in America is still possible. You c- this is still the land of opportunity. But uh you know, but everybody around this table knows that the secret to success, right. you gotta work your ass off
1: Lord Chavez, every day. Lord Chavez, how devastating is shutting down the border for our economy?
3: Oh, it's it's massive. It's going it's going to cripple a, just look at the border communities, like straight border communities. Don't even think of anything. Brownsville, El
1: Paso, San Antonio, like Tucson, places like Phoenix. that. You know,
3: don't even San Diego. Don't even think. Fifty miles north of the border, just those communities alone. I think I saw a stat that was like there are five hundred thousand people that legally cross the border every day to work. If you shut that down, five hundred thousand jobs will be left undone. Just along right. the border, five hundred thousand people. We'll be missing a paycheck 500,000 things will be just left for not that day and that will go on day after day after day leaving crippling the economy and the, not only those communities but it'll have a trickle-down effect through the entire country so it would be devastating
1: right Alan Moore last
0: word yeah I, I've seen numbers uh, to the in the range of 1.5 billion dollars per day of cross-border trade between us and the southern border. That's about $500 billion a year. Would all of that stop? No. It would stop momentarily, and then some of it would be on airplanes, and some of it would be on ships, and it would be highly, horrendously disruptive. There, are the, I think the numbers of job uh, folks back and forth is even larger than the 500,000 that, that Laura talks about. Some of that eventually would sort itself out, but there would be massive disruption, um, massive financial losses. We just—they're just really hard to quantify. Um, for nothing, for no useful purpose, for the purpose of a president, of satisfying
1: a base voter block. A
0: president saying, <clears throat> sh- wanting to show some level of toughness and deciding, I can do this. I'm going to do this. Everybody around me in my White House, not to mention in the Republican Party, says, don't do it, don't do it. I can do it. I'm the president. I like doing things on my own authority.
1: All right. We're going to let that be the last word. Uh, on behalf of Alan Moore, Admiral Ken, Laura Chavez, so good to have you in the studio. Do this more. You're going to be here next week?
3: Ask the people who hire me. I don't know.
1: Ask ask some of my clients. Oh, good. Now you just made it. This is an all-volunteer force. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, Oscar, switching out seats for Rob the Engineer behind the glass. Thank you for keeping us honest. Uh, I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back with the best political talk show you've never heard of. Live from, or live to us, Podcast Village, Studio A. In Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., your nation's capital, you can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politic, where you can listen to us live every Tuesday from 4 to 6. You can also uh, download us as a podcast on your favorite podcasting service, whether iTunes, Google Podcasts, even Spotify. Yeah, we're kind of a big deal now. Have a great week, America. We'll talk to you soon.
4: Uh-huh,